0: chapter fourteen of adeline mowbray by amelia alderson opie this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pam Muscato. chapter fourteen as soon as adeline beheld Glenmurray, see she exclaimed in a hoarse and agitated tone there is my letter to my mother returned unopened and here is a letter from dr norbury which has broken my heart however we must go to england directly the letter was as follows you have made a pretty fool of me deluded but still dear girl you have made me believe in forebodings and be hanged to you you may remember with what a full heart i bade you adieu and i recollect what a devilish queer sensation i had when the park gates closed on your fleet carriage i swore a good oath at the postulants for driving so fast as i wished to see you as long as i could and now i protest that i believe i was actuated by a foreboding that at that house and on that spot I should never behold you again. Here a tear had fallen on the paper, and the word again was nearly blotted out. Dear Lost Adeline, I prayed for you too. I prayed that you might return as innocent and happy as you left me. Lord, have mercy on us, who should have thought it. But this is nothing to the purpose, and I suppose you think you have done naught but what is right and clever he then proceeded to inform adeline who had written to him to implore his mediation between her and her mother that the latter had sent express for him on finding but the hasty scrawl which came the day after adeline's departure from the farmhouse that she had eloped and who was the companion of her flight that he found her in violent agitation as sir patrick stung to madness at the success of his rival had with an ingenuous worthy a better cause avowed to her his ardent passion for her daughter his resolution to follow the fugitives and by every means possible separate adeline from her lover and after having thanked lady o'carroll for her great generosity to him he had taken his pistols mounted his horse attended by his groom also well armed and vowed that he would never return unless accompanied by the woman whom he adored no wonder therefore continued the doctor that i was An unsuccessful advocate for you, especially as I was not inclined to manage the old bride's self-love, for I was so provoked at her cursed folly in marrying the handsome profligate, that if she had not been in distress, I never meant to see her again. But, poor silly soul, she suffers enough for her folly, and so do you. And for her affections and her self-love, being equally wounded by Sir Patrick's confession, you are at present the object of her aversion. To you she attributes all the misery of having lost the man on whom she still dotes, an old blockhead, and when she found from your last letter to me that you are not the wife but the mistress of Glenmurray, by the by, your letter to her from Lisbon, she desires me to return unopened, and that the child once her pride is become her disgrace, she declared her solemn resolution never to see you more and to renounce you for ever. Terrible words, Adeline i tremble to write them. But a circumstance has since occurred which gives me hope that she may yet forgive and receive you on certain conditions. About a fortnight after Sir Patrick's departure, a letter from Ireland, directed to him in a woman's hand, arrived at the pavilion. Your mother opened it and found it was from a wife of her amiable husband, whom he had left in the north of Ireland, and who having heard of his second marriage wrote to tell him that unless he came quickly back to her she would prosecute him for bigamy and as he knew very well that undoubted proofs of the marriage were in her possession at first this new proof of her beautiful spouse's villainy drove your mother almost to frenzy and i was again sent for but time reflection and perhaps my arguments convinced her that to be able to free herself from this rascal for ever and consequently her fortune losing only the ten thousand pounds which she had given him to pay his debts was in reality a consoling circumstance accordingly she wrote to the real lady o'carroll promising to accede quietly to her claim and wishing that she would spare her and herself the disgrace of a public trial especially as it must end in the conviction of sir patrick she then on hearing from him that he had traced you to Falmouth and was going to embark for Lisbon when the wind was favourable, enclosed him a copy of his wife's letter and bade him an eternal farewell, but be not alarmed lest this insane profligate should overtake and distress you. He has gone to his final account in his hurry to get on board, overcome as he was with the great quantity of liquor which he had drunk to banish care. He sprung from the boat before it was near enough to reach the vessel. His foot slipped against the side, he fell into the water, and going under the ship, never rose again. I leave you to imagine how the complicated distresses of the last three months, and this awful climax to them, have affected your mother's mind. Even I cannot scold her, now for the life of me. She is not yet, I believe, disposed in your favor. But were you here and were you to meet, it is possible that, forlorn, lonely, and deserted, as she now feels, the tie between you might be once more cemented. And much as I resent your conduct, you may depend on my exertions. O Adeline, child of my affection, why must I blush to subscribe myself? Your sincere friend, J. N. Words cannot describe the feelings of anguish which this letter excited in Adeline, nor could she make known her sensations otherwise than by reiterated requests to be allowed to set off for England directly requests to which glenmurray alarmed for her intellects immediately assented. Therefore, leaving a hasty note for the Douglases, they soon bade farewell to Pergamon, and after a long laborious journey, but a short passage, they landed at Brighton. It was a fine evening, and numbers of the gay and fashionable of both sexes were assembled on the beach to see the passengers land. Adeline and Glenmurray were amongst the first, and while heartsick, fatigued, and melancholy, Adeline took the arm of her lover and turned disgusted from the brilliant groups before her. She saw walking along the shore Doctor Norbury, his wife, and his two daughters. Instantly, unmindful of everything but the delight of seeing old acquaintances and of being able to gain some immediate tidings of her mother. She ran up to them and just as they turned round she met them extending her hand in friendship as she was wont to do but in vain no hand was stretched out to meet hers nor tongue nor look proclaimed a welcome to her dr norbury himself coldly touched his hat and passed on while his wife and daughters looked scornfully at her and without deigning to notice her pursued their walk astonished and confounded adeline had not power to articulate a word and had not glenmurray caught her in his arms she would have fallen to the ground then now i am indeed an outcast even my oldest and best friend renounces me she exclaimed but i am left to you cried glenmurray adeline sighed she could not say as she had formerly done that you are all to me the image of her mother happy as the wife of a man she loved could not long rival glenmurray But the image of her mother disgraced and wretched awoke all the habitual but dormant tenderness of years. Every feeling of filial gratitude revived in all its force, and even while leaning on the shoulder of her lover, she sighed to be once more clasped to the bosom of her mother. Glenmurray felt the change, but though grieved, was not offended. I shall die in peace, he cried, if I can but see you restored to your mother's affection, even though surrender of my happiness is to be the purchase you shall die in peace replied adeline shuddering the phrase was well timed though perhaps undesignedly so adeline clung close to his arm her eyes filled with tears and all the way to the inn she thought only of glenmurray with an apprehension which she could not conquer what do you mean to do now said glenmurray write to dr norbury i think he will at least have humanity enough to let me know where to find my mother no doubt, and you had better write directly. Adeline took up her pen. A letter was written, and as quickly torn. Letter succeeded to letter, but not one of them answered her wishes. The dark hour arrived, and the letter remained unwritten. It is too soon to ring for candles, said Glenmurray, putting his arm around her waist, and leading her to the window. The sun was below the horizon, but the reflection of its beams still shone beautifully on the surrounding objects. Adeline, reclining her cheek on glenmurray's arm gazed in silence on the scene before her when the door suddenly opened and a gentleman was announced it was now so dark that all objects were indistinctly seen and the gentleman had advanced close to adeline before she knew him to be dr norberry and before she could decide how she should receive him she felt herself clasp to his bosom with the affection of a father surprised and affected she could not speak And glenmurray had ordered candles before adeline had recovered herself sufficiently to say these words. After your conduct on the beach, I little expected this visit. Pshaw, replied the doctor, when a man, out of regard to society, has performed a painful task, surely he must be allowed, out of regard to himself, to follow the dictates of his heart. I obeyed my head when I passed you so cavalierly, and I thought I should never have gone through my task as I did, but then for the sake of my daughters. I gave a gulp and called up a fierce look but i told madam that i meant to call on you and she insisted very properly that it should be in the dark hour but what of my mother she is a miserable woman and she deserves to be an old fool pray do not call her so to hear she is miserable is torment sufficient to me where is she still at the pavilion but she is going to let rose valley retire her estate in cumberland and live unknown and unseen but will she not allow me to live with her what as glenmurray's mistress receive under her roof the seducer of her daughter sir i am no seducer no cried adeline i became the mistress of mr glenmurray from the dictates of my reason not my weakness or his persuasion humph replied the doctor i should expect to find such reason in moorfields besides had not mr glenmurray's books turned your head You would not have thought it pretty and right to become the mistress of any man, so he is your seducer after all. So far, I plead guilty, replied Glenmurray. But whatever my opinions are, I have been ever willing to sacrifice them to the welfare of Miss Mowbray, and have, from the first moment that we were safe from pursuit, been urgent to marry her. Then why the devil are you not married? Because I would not consent, said adeline coldly. Mad, certainly mad, exclaimed the doctor. But you faith you are an honest fellow after all turning to glenmurray and shaking him by the hand weak of the head not bad in the heart but your books (laughs) and i am your friend forever we will discuss that point another time replied glenmurray at present the most interesting subject to us is the question whether mrs mowbray will forgive her daughter or not zounds man "'If I may judge of Mrs. Mowbray by myself, "'one condition of her forgiveness "'will be your marrying her daughter.' "'Oh, bless condition!' cried Glenmurray. "'I should think not,' replied Adeline coldly. "'My mother must have had too much of marriage "'to wish me to marry. "'But if she should insist on my marrying, "'I will comply, and on no other account. "'Strange infatuation. "'To me it appears only justice and duty. "'But your reasons, girl, your reasons!' they are few but strong glenmurray philanthropically bent on improving the state of society puts forth opinions counteracting its received usages backed by arguments which are in my opinion incontrovertible in your opinion pray child how old are you nineteen and at that age you set up for a reformer well go on but though it be important to the success of his opinions And indeed, to the respectability of his character, that he should act according to his precepts, he, for the sake of preserving to me the notice of persons whose narrowness of mind I despise, would conform to an institution which both he and I think unworthy of regard from a rational being. And shall not I be as generous as he is? Shall I scruple to give up for his honor and fame the petty advantages which marriage would give me? Never. His honor and fame are too dear to me, but the claims which my mother has made on me are, in my eyes, so sacred, that for her sake, though not for my own, I would accept the sacrifice which Glenmurray offers. If, then, she says that she will never see or pardon me till I am become a wife, I will follow him to the altar directly. But till then I must insist on remaining as I am. It is necessary that i should respect the man i love and i should not respect Glenmurray, were he not capable of supporting with fortitude the consequence of his opinions and could he for motives less strong than those he avows cease to act up to which he believes to be right for never can i respect or believe firmly in the truth of those doctrines the followers of which shrink from a sort of martyrdom in support of them oh mr glenmurray cried the doctor shaking his head what have you to answer for what a glorious champion would that creature have been in the support of truth when even error in her looks so like virtue and then the amiable disinterestedness of you both zounds what a powerful thing must true love be when it can make a speculative philosopher indifferent to the interests of his system and ready to act in direct opposition to it rather than injure the respectability of the woman he loves. Well, well, the Lord forgive you, young man, for having taken it into your head to set up for a great author. Glenmurray answered by a deep, drawn sigh, and the doctor continued. Then there is that girl again, with a heart so fond and true, that her love comes in aid of her integrity, and makes her think no sacrifice too great, in order to prove her confidence in the wisdom of her lover. Urging her to disregard all personal inconveniences rather than let him forfeit for her sake his pretensions to independence and consistency of character, Steth girl, I can't help admiring you, but no more I could a Malabar widow who, with fond and pious enthusiasm from an idea of duty, throws herself on the funeral pile of her husband, but still, I should think you a cursed fool, notwithstanding. For professing the opinions that led to such an exertion of duty and now here you are possessed of every quality both of head and heart to bless others and to bless yourself owing to the foolish and pernicious opinions here you are i say blessed in reputation in the prime of your days and doomed perhaps to pine through existence in pshaw by the lord i can't support the idea he added gulping down a sob as he spoke and traversing the room in great emotion adeline and glenmurray were both of them deeply and painfully affected and the latter was going to express what he felt when the doctor seizing adeline's hand affectionately exclaimed well my poor child i will see your mother once more i will go to london to-morrow by this time she is there and you had better follow me you will hear of me at the old hummums and here is a card of address to a hotel near it, where I would advise you to take up your abode. So saying, he shook Glenmurray by the hand. When starting back, he exclaimed, "A zooks, man! Here is a skin like fire and a pulse like lightning. My dear fellow, you must take care of yourself. Adeline burst into tears. Indeed, doctor. I am only nervous. Nervous? What, I suppose you think you understand my profession better than I do? But don't cry my child when your mind is easier perhaps he will do very well and as one thing likely to give him immediate ease i prescribe a visit to the altar of the next parish church so saying he departed and all other considerations were again swallowed up in adeline's mind by the idea of Glenmurray's danger is it possible that my marrying you would have such a blessed effect on your health cried adeline after a pause it certainly would make my mind easier than it now is replied he if i thought so said adeline but no regard for my supposed interest merely makes you say so and indeed i should not think so well of you as i do now if i imagined that you could be made easy by an action by which you forfeited all pretensions to that of consistency of character so requisite to the true dignity of a philosopher a deep sigh from Glenmurray in answer proved that he was no philosopher in the morning the lovers set off for London dr Norbury having preceded them by a few hours. This blunt but benevolent man had returned the evening before slowly and pensively to his lodgings, his heart full of pity for the errors of the well-meaning enthusiasts whom he had left, and his head full of plans for their assistance or rather that of adeline. But he entered his own doors again reluctantly. He knew but too well that no sympathy with his feelings awaited him there. His wife, a woman of narrow capacity and no talents or accomplishments, had, like all women of that sort, a great aversion to those of her sex who united to feminine graces and gentleness the charms of a cultivated understanding and pretensions to accomplishments or literature. Of Mrs. Mowbray, as we have before observed, she had always been particularly jealous, because Dr. Norbury spoke of her knowledge with wonder, and of her understanding with admiration. Not that he entertained one moment a feeling of preference towards her, inconsistent with an almost idolatrous love of his wife, whose skill in all the domestic duties, and whose very pretty face and person were the daily themes of his praise. But Mrs. Norbury, wished to engross all his panegyrics to herself and she never failed to expatiate on mrs mowbray's foibles and flightiness as long as the doctor had expatiated on her charms sometimes indeed this last subject was sooner exhausted than the one which she had chosen but when adeline grew up and became as it were the rival of her daughters in the praises of her husband she found it difficult as we have said before to bring faults In array against excellencies mrs norbury could with propriety observe when the doctor was exclaiming what a charming essay mrs mowbray has just written ay but i dare say she can't write a market bill when he said how well she comprehends the component parts of the animal system she could with great justice reply but she knows nothing of the component parts of a plum pudding but when adeline became the object of the husband's admiration and the wife's animity, mrs norbury could not make these persistent remarks as adeline was as conversant with all branches of housewifery as herself and though as learned in all systems as her mother was equally learned in the component parts of puddings and pies she was therefore at a loss what to say when adeline was praised by the doctor and all she could observe on the occasion was that the girl might be clever, but was certainly very ugly, very affected, and very conceited, it is not to be wondered at, therefore, that Mrs. Norberry's degrading and unhappy marriage and Adeline's elopement should have been sources of triumph to Mrs. Norberry and her daughters, though who they liked Mrs. Mowbray very well could not bear adeline so Dr. Norberry, these are your uncommon folks, exclaimed Mrs. Norberry on hearing of the marriage and of the subsequent elopement and i suppose you are now well satisfied at not having a genius for your wife or geniuses for your daughters i always was my dear meekly replied the mortified and afflicted doctor and dropped the subject as soon as possible nor had it been resumed for some time when adeline accosted them on the beach at brighton but her appearance called forth her dormant enmity and the whole way to their lodgings the good doctor heard her guilt expatiated upon with as much violence as ever. But just as they got home, he coldly and firmly observed, "I shall certainly call on the poor deluded girl this evening." And Mrs. Norbury, knowing by the tone and manner in which he spoke that this was a point which he would not give up, contented herself with requiring only that he would go in the dark hour. End of chapter 14. Recording by Pam Muscato